We're looking at Matthew 6 this morning, verses 19 through 34. It will obviously be kind of a summary. This is the precious word of God. And you can picture this, our Lord Jesus speaking on the mount and people below him listening to him. And the Lord said to them, and he says to us, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Father in heaven, we come before you as people who desperately need to hear the truth of your word and desperately need to apply it. And Lord, we ask for the filling of your spirit that we might hear and that we might desire to please you and then act in faith regarding this, your precious word. So we do commit ourselves to you, and we thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for giving us life in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we commit our time now to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's a kind of a, neat, a unique title you see on your notes there. Maybe most of you don't know where did that come from, but my mom used to chide me. <clears throat> Although my brother is here, my twin brother is here, he doesn't come here very often, you can ask him. I asked him, I said, didn't mom tell Talk to me and tell me I was a worry ward all the time. Uh, I remember it. He didn't remember so much. Uh, and we're twins, so it's not like, you know, he's got an age issue or something. Um, but a worry ward is a person, I looked this up, it's kind of, kind of vague, but a worry ward is a person who worries habitually, who worries incessantly. And by the way, last night, Jerry and I went to, my brother's name is Jerry, yeah, Jerry and Gary. So we went to our 50th, high school reunion last night. And it, it reminded me again, as I thought about it, of how much I worried at that time in my life. I was full of worry. I didn't know what I was gonna do in my future. 
I was conflicted in many ways. I was going to college, but the only reason I was going because I wanted to be a gymnast. I don't know what to expect there. I was worried about many things. Now, I don't think being a worrywart means it causes warts. I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with that. But, uh, but certainly, being an incessant worrier like I was is bad for your health. It's bad for your physical health, and this, one of the main points of this sermon is it's bad for your spiritual health. It definitely is. I saw a cartoon, <clears throat> and in the cartoon, there's a counselor, and his counselee was sitting on the couch. I don't know if they do that anymore, but uh, he's saying to the patient on the couch, he said, you worry too much. It doesn't do you any good. And the patient said, oh, it does for me. 95% of the things I worry about never happen. And, you know, we do worry a lot about what will not happen or maybe even cannot happen. We train ourselves in this. I trained myself in this. Praise God, he liberated me from that. He saved me. And praise God, and I can now cling to his promises rather than give in to worry, the sin of worry. And the Lord reminds me of this passage and reminded me of it to bring it today. <clears throat> and I memorized this as a young believer because I knew I have serious issues with not trusting God in little things and big things. Now, of course, some people worry more than others, uh, but we all worry, right? Even the youngest ones here, they worry in certain ways at certain times. So, first of all, why do we worry? Verses 19 through 21. We worry because <clears throat> our treasure is in the wrong place, really. Or we just don't understand. We don't think enough about, we're not reminded about what is lasting treasure. We kind of forget about that in the day-to-day -day grind. Verse 19 says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's where your heart and mind will be centered. So if you know, if you know that your treasure is laid up for you where it cannot be destroyed, you don't need to worry about that. But if your treasure, your treasures are laid up for you here, they are like three things here in this passage. First of all, moth-eaten garments. Moth-eaten garments. And back then, <clears throat> they didn't have a lot of garments. They maybe had one and maybe two cloaks. So a measure of a person's wealth was how, many, how much clothes they had. So moth-eaten garments. They all got moth-eaten eventually. Or secondly, like food being eaten away. This word rust here uh, can mean, and in some places it's, it means eaten away. Because food, which, you know, stored grain, which they had, uh, was also a measure of a man's wealth. And then, if your treasure is where it can be stolen, easily stolen and grabbed and taken away, then you, uh, yeah, you'll probably be tempted to worry. And a current example, <clears throat> excuse me, is inflation, okay? It's theft by the state on a grand scale. But can we change it with worry? 
But, dear family, if your true treasure is kept in the most secure place that exists, protected by the Lord of hosts, the Almighty God, you sure don't need to be worrying about it. 1 Peter 1 tells us that our true inheritance, through the living hope we have, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, it's incorruptible, it's undefiled, and it's kept in heaven for us. It does not fade away, it cannot. It's reserved in heaven for us. Praise God, it's kept for us. I'd like to look at the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12. If you'd like to turn there, it won't be on the screen. Luke 12. I'd like to begin in verse 15. I'll refer to this a few times here. So in that parable, Jesus said to him, take heed to them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life or a person's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's not what life is all about. Life, as Jesus defines it, is not according to the amount of possessions, things we have, what some would call treasures. And he goes on, verse 16, then he spoke a parable to them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, he said, what shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? All those things you're storing up. So is he, again here, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We're talking about being rich toward God here. True richness is laying up what God says is treasure in a place where it cannot be lost. So these kind of riches, this kind of treasure is not for ourselves, it's for the glory of God. It's from him and for him, as we sang in Romans. And our eternal treasure, in other words, our indescribable gift, the indescribable gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is our treasure, dear family, And our relationship with him is what truly makes us rich. In John 17, as we went through John 17, verse three defined eternal life as knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. That's what life is, knowing the Lord Jesus. Now later in Luke 12, the Lord said this, sell what you have, excuse me, sell what you have and give alms or gifts Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. That's a special kind of money bag there. Where no thief approaches, nor moth destroys, and it said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where do you want your heart to be? The true treasure cannot fail. It is kept in heaven for us. They can be, of course, a present joy for us here. These things God gives us in his grace. Um, But hopefully not a burden to worry about. And they are also, praise God, as we're reading here, it can be a future reward. A way now to keep our hearts focused on heaven and on the Lord Jesus, who we want to please. Randy Elkhorn, I'm gonna refer to six points from Randy Elkhorn's book called, it's called The Treasure Principle, Discovering the Secret of Joyful Giving. Just six points here. 
And in the beginning of the book, this is the first line in the book, it says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Point one, God owns everything, I'm his money manager. In other words, we manage assets that God has lovingly given to us, entrusted us as his stewards. We are his stewards, these are his things. And it's important to remember that it's all his. And we should invest it, those things that he gives us, you know, our gifts, all the material things, everything he gives us should be invested for his glory, for his kingdom, for the growth of his kingdom. Secondly, my heart always goes where I put my money. And so we should wisely allocate our temporal blessings to invest again in eternal things. Again, our hearts follow where we think our treasure is or where we're putting it. And dear family, God wants our hearts. Third, heaven or the new earth, not the present one, is my true and my lasting home. So we have to think that we are citizens of a different place. We are citizens of heaven. And citizens usually invest, I believe, in their own country. Uh, they tend to store it up where they want to end up or you know, where their home is, where their true home is. Fourth point, he said, I should live today not for the dot, but the line. In other words, the line is your life, your eternal life, and the dot is our present life here on earth. So he said, live, live for that. The line goes on forever in heaven. Eternal, our, uh, we should have an eternal perspective, in other words, while we live in a temporal place. Yes, that's hard to keep an eternal perspective in a temporal place. Daily, day upon day, it is a challenge. Point five, giving is the only antidote to materialism. It's a pretty strong statement. So he said, giving is a joyful surrender to a greater person with a greater agenda. A joyful surrender. And he said, it dethrones me and it exalts him. Praise God. And basically it's giving for kingdom purposes is what we're doing. And it's a key way to lay up treasure in, in heaven. The sixth point in that little book of his it says, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Great phrase. Indeed, I believe that's what we're supposed to do with everything. The gifts of the Spirit should be given to service. God gives us more money than we need. I think that fits everybody in this room. I know there are people being challenged financially. But he does, he gives us great blessings so we can give generously and lay up treasures in heaven. What a blessing. He's teaching us to give joyfully, which will only bless us further. He's te teaching us to give is really another way of God showing his amazing grace to us over and over again. He gives to us so that we can know the joy of giving and so that he can show us even more grace. That's a good picture of what grace is. He just keeps giving to us so we can give and he gives even more. Now, I believe these principles are illustrated in a famous quote. Many of you know this, Jim Elliott, who died in Ecuador in the 50s. But he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I believe he's talking about the treasure of the gospel, but the principle is the same. And so, dear family, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where your lasting treasure is kept, the treasure which does not fail, and you won't worry about them. Secondly, we worry because we are not generous. We are not generous with, uh, quote, our treasure. 
Verses 22 and 23, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So the eye is the window, like a window, which allows light to be known, light in. And the amount of light, and especially the light of the word of God, entering a person's heart and soul impacts their vision of the future. It impacts how we see what is eternal and what is valuable directly. If we are blinded by worry and thus we are not disposed to use and invest this treasure from the Lord as we should, and especially the treasure of the word, and we don't invest it here for people, uh, for kingdom purposes, I would say that truly is darkness. And there are two kinds of eyes. In this context, uh, the Greek word for good means generous, uh, bountiful, uh, someone with uh, liberal, you know, liberality. And for bad here, it means grudging, or it means covetous, or it means uh, an ungenerous heart. So I'd like to look at two Proverbs to help understand these. This is a unique way for us, anyway, of explain, using the eye in this way. So Proverbs 28, 22. The first one, this is talking about the evil eye, the bad eye. Proverbs 22, verse 9, is about the good eye. First of all, Proverbs 28, 22. A man with an evil eye, which means, again, bad or ungenerous, hastens after riches. That's what that person does. And does not consider that poverty will come upon him. Poverty will become coming anyway. So a grudging spirit distorts our vision, I would say. And so we don't see what lasting treasure is again. We forget. We need to be reminded again. And the result is spiritual poverty, I believe. And also sometimes material poverty. So Proverbs twenty two twenty nine though, is the opposite. He who has a generous eye, it says, or a good eye, will be blessed. For he gives of his bread to the poor. Now bread was the foundational part of the meal. Somebody gives their bread, they're giving you something they need. So a person with a good eye or a generous eye, uh, in other words, a cheerful giver, will be blessed in his giving. He gives his bread to the needy. In other words, he doesn't hoard it, doesn't keep it. He's not worried about himself, so I gotta keep this bread, I'm gonna give. And so to paraphrase of verse 22 and 23, if your heart is generous, then your whole life will be filled with light and you will see what is to be treasured. You will be able to see that. But if your heart is not generous, you will be filled with darkness. You'll be mostly blind, I believe, to the true riches. What are the true riches? And the result of that being that you probably will worry a lot more about these things. And there's nothing, I think, like generosity to give you a clear view of what is lasting. And by that, I mean, anyway, people and the word of God. The kingdom of the Lord Jesus. There are riches, there are treasures in heaven to those who are generous for God's glory. It's all by his grace. Proverbs eleven twenty five: the generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will also be watered himself. Other versions say, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. 2 Corinthians 9 tells us that he who sows sparingly, you know, meagerly, will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. It's a law of the harvest. 
And so let each one, it says, give as he purposes in his heart. Yes, it should be from your heart. God knows the amount. But it says, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So a generous eye sees clearly because it sees more, I think, as our generous God sees. That's the way he gives. And Paul said to Timothy, this is from 1 Timothy chapter 6, and this relates to contentment, which, Lord willing, maybe next week, uh, I will be preaching uh, from 1 Timothy 6 on contentment. So if you'd listen to this, uh, Paul said to Timothy, and he's saying, Timothy, basically pass this on. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them, that is these rich people, let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up, this is related to our passage, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. In other words, keep an eternal perspective in the midst of all this. So, brothers and sisters, our generosity now, our liberality now, with what God has given us, has an impact on what we store up for eternity and on helping us not to become uh, worry warts. In other words, to keep our focus on the Lord and to keep our focus on what pleases him most of all. Okay, going on. We worry because we try to serve two masters. We take our eyes, in other words, off of our true and only master. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, the original meaning of mammon here, as far as I understood it, was that, uh, was that which is entrusted. That which is entrusted. Um, in other words, that which was given to someone else uh, for safekeeping. Okay, mammon. But apparently the meaning changed in time, and at this point, it, it meant more that in which a man puts his trust. In other words, it has become a god. It has become possibly become an idol. It could be many things, of course. This is right here talking about material uh, things, but it could be reputation. It could be what you're tempted to trust in. It could be status. It could be acclaim. It could be success. It could be comfort. But Jesus said to the rich young ruler, this is in Matthew 19, if you want to be perfect, in other words, mature, go. Sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Take that step, it was a hard step for him, and come, follow me, he said. But you know what happened. It says, when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. His possessions were his master, in other words. His possessions possessed him. May it never be so here. And so he couldn't follow the Lord. He was possessed by his possessions. But we... Dear family, we're to look to our only master, and you know the passage in Hebrews 12, we're to run with endurance or run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He should be our vision. Our focus should be on him as we run in this race. It can be a grueling race. Uh, he is the author of our faith. He is our master, 
and he is the one who shows us the finish line also, the place where our eternal riches are being stored. Last week, I believe it was last week, it seems like a really long time, a week ago, but I shared from Psalm 25. In that verse, my eyes are ever toward the Lord, or my eyes are ever on the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. This big mess that I'm in, that I have plenty of reason to worry about, maybe, I think. I mean, I'm worried about all these things. This, this, it's hindering me from walking with the Lord. But David said, my eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. So I'm looking to him, and he's guiding me. I can get out of this mess, but I can't if I'm not looking to him. So our master commanded, and he gave us a promise here in Hebrews 13, which we heard in prayer this morning, let your conduct be without covetousness. The 10th commandment commands we should not covet. And he says, be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If, you, if you're gonna memorize any promise in the Bible, and this one's relatively short, you should live by this promise. God has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now if we covet, even a little bit, and thus we are not content, it is clear, I believe, that we are not believing this promise. We are not acting anyway on this promise. And there's a good reason we worry and fear if we stop looking to the Lord Jesus. Very good reason why we should worry. But if we look to our master, our only master, who is our ultimate treasure, we will not fear, we will not worry about the future. If that is your worry today. And then we worry because we misunderstand, or again, we forget what true life is. We just don't think about it there much. Verse 25, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, uh, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Yes, indeed it is. But it's hard to see that in the world that we are in, the world we've grown up in. It's hard to see that. Because our world worships things, really. But the Lord Jesus is our life. First John 5. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Very clear. This is life with Jesus. This is not life. And there's good reasons for people who don't believe in him to fear and worry. And because he is our life, dear family, and he gives us life, he gives us breath, every breath we're taking right now, every day we live, worry is a sin against him. And worry is one of those sins that so easily ensnares us, Hebrews 12. And so all those who do not know that Jesus is eternal life have great reason to worry. But all those who know him have life. And you're commanded here not to worry. In fact, because we have life, we should think differently about those who do not have life. We should compassionately share the gospel. That's the only hope they have to not live a life of worry. So this is not here commanding us not to think, uh, plan ahead, or use prudence, or you know, foresight. The Lord here is forbidding us to worry about those things which takes the joy out of life 
It also distracts us from what true life is in him. God gives life in Christ, and so we should trust in him for the things which are necessary to support life. He knows what we need. So again, we worry because we misunderstand now or we forget our value to our heavenly father. Verse 26, so remember where they are. They're on the mount, and Jesus is at the higher point. People are down here listening, and there's birds flying around. And the Lord said, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns like you have to do, right? They have to do that. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? The point is not that birds don't work. In fact, they work pretty diligently, I think if you watch them. But they don't worry, I don't think, pretty sure they don't, because they sing as they work. And my one application here, and I'm kinda not really joking, is maybe we should just sing more and worry a whole lot less. Sing the praises of God, sing the Psalter. It really does help, actually. It's a good application. Matthew Henry said this, he that provides for inferior creatures, he means, you know, not people, people not made in the image of God. He that provides for inferior creatures without their labor will much more provide for us by blessing our labor, which he has made our duty. He blesses our labor because he's a good God and he's kind. Luke 12 again says the same thing in this way. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds, a lot. The answer to that is you are, you are so valuable. You are so loved by the Lord Jesus that the Lord of life came and he became like you and he died for you and he paid the penalty for you. How can you even measure that? He came to free you, free us all from a life of worry and fear. Praise God. And the more we grasp our value to him, understand it fully, more fully, uh, meaning the more, I believe, we understand the gospel, the less we will worry that he won't provide all that we need. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Later in Luke 12, our Lord Jesus said, do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So, dear family, our inheritance is also beyond comprehension, like the love of God for us. We are so wealthy, we can't even begin to fathom it, because he values us as his own, certainly. It is God's good pleasure, and it is his free and abundant grace to abundantly give to us salvation and then many other things. We are heirs, dear family, with God and we are joint heirs with Christ who himself again is our treasure. He is our indescribable gift. He is our portion in the land of the living and he's our portion in heaven. So how can we justify continued worry when we have an inheritance like that awaiting us? and because we are so valued and so loved by our Heavenly Father. Next, we worry because we think our worry actually does something. It actually accomplishes something, we think. Verse 27, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? In other words, 18 inches. 
But this is really not so much about that kind of stature, but it was meaning, more, uh, the, the general meaning is, can you add to the length of your life by worry? Anybody here think you've extended your life that way? Well, no. Like I already mentioned, in fact, worry has been clearly shown uh, to be uh, detrimental to our health. It shortens our lives. So heart disease increases worry. Ulcers, it does all sorts of things. Stress-related illnesses. All of these things reduce the quality and length of our lives. This is not, dear family, a good way to take care of the body that the master has given us. It is definitely not good stewardship of the body. Luke 12 again, the Lord pointed out, if you then are not able to do the least, even the littlest things, like your own breath maybe even, if you can't even do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Worrying does not make us able to add even the shortest amount of time to our lives. So it is useless. It is not pleasing to the Lord our God to worry about that which we cannot know or do anything to change. Yes, as I mentioned before, we are called to work. We are called to provide. We are called to do many things, to create. But to do it all as we trust in him and rely on his grace and thank him for enabling us to be involved in this work at all with him. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, asks this, what do you have that you did not receive? And dear family, unless he had created it all, and unless he continues to give to us, as he does so graciously, we couldn't even meet the least of our needs. Faith accomplishes great things because it brings us to the storehouse and it brings us to our provider. It brings us to him. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing that faith does. We do not accomplish much by worrying. Here's another quote I found. I forgot, I, I can't find who to attribute it to. Worry is like sitting in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. And that's true. And we worry because we don't want to let, this, we don't, this is the final one, I believe, yes. We worry because we don't want to let God provide we don't let him provide in his way and his time. We, we don't let him. In other words, we don't, it, we're not doing this for his glory. We simply don't live by faith is what I'm meaning here. So why do you worry about clothing, it says. Okay, most of you are not worrying about clothing, at least if you have enough. That is not the issue. Why, why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, Jesus said, how they grow. I mean, they're all over the place there. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Yes, of course. Now, in his time, you know, Solomon was really decked out. And I don't know how, many, uh, how big his wardrobe was, but whatever he wore, it, it was fabulously rich to the average person. But none of it, the Lord Jesus is saying, compared to the beauty of a flower. The beauty of a flower is beyond, really, our ability to imitate, right? Yet if God clothes them, those flowers, in that way, as short-lived as they are, will he not much more clothe us, in this case we're talking about clothing, will he not much more provide for us and care for us as his chosen people? And this section ends calling worriers you of little faith. So maybe 
back then, instead of calling people worry warts, they were called little faiths. And actually they were. They were called little faiths. Paul explained to Timothy again in 1 Timothy 6, we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Now, eternal treasure, we've found, can be sent on ahead. And it goes on, and having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich, so this is their desire, and it's their undoing. They desire to be rich. They fall into temptation and into a snare. Again, like Hebrews, you know, we were talking about earlier. And into many foolish and harmful lusts, it just creates more lust, which drown men in destruction and perdition. That's a terrible result of, of worry. And then it says, or, or not being content, it says, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So worry, or lack of contentment, if you want to look at some of the possible results, look at 1 Timothy 6. They're grievous. I'm, just not, I'm not talking about worry, just like, okay, everybody worries. I worry a little bit here, a little bit there. It has destructive, uh, it, it, it is destructive. Now, most non-Christians, and too many Christians, I believe, try to ease their worry. Now, they may not use these words for themselves, but they try to ease their worry by being greedy, maybe by hoarding, by, I'm not gonna give that. And they don't let the Lord then uh, not only provide, maybe as he is calling them to do there, but they don't let the Lord provide in his wonderful, amazing ways that only he can do that you won't see unless you're walking by faith. He does that in his perfect timing. Do we trust him in that? And that pleases him when we do trust him because it's by faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. So question here, are you developing the habit of asking him to provide? Or you just say, I can do this. I have the means to do this. I'm not gonna bring it to the Lord. I'm just gonna do this thing. Or, of course, there's cases you don't have. So yes, you cry out to the Lord. But are you developing the habit of asking him to provide in his way and his time? Leaving it with him. Will you let him provide, in other words, trusting that he will, and then thank him after he provides. Thank him even before he provides. And then Matthew 7 says, if you then, being evil, in other words, being a sinner, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Indeed. And so, dear family, ask in faith to the one who is your provider. He desires to provide. He can provide. Ask your Father in heaven who gives good gifts. And he gave us his greatest gift. He gave us salvation in the Lord Jesus. He poured out his spirit into our hearts. And so to review, we worry because our treasure is in the wrong place maybe. We're just not understanding or we lose focus on what lasting treasure is. What is eternal treasure? Ask yourself, what, how do you act accordingly? We aren't, secondly, we aren't generous with this treasure that we have, our wealth, our possessions uh, on this earth, which the Lord gave us so that we can serve uh, and honor him and bless other people. We try to serve two masters, can't be done. In other words, we are tempted to take our eyes off our true master, our only master. We misunderstand what true life is, it's to know and serve our master. We misunderstand our value to our heavenly father, we, 
his work of redemption for us. I thought of this. I May this not ever be close to being so, that we should let a day go by when we don't praise him for our salvation and our redemption in the Lord Jesus. Shouldn't happen, I believe. And again, we think worry actually does, accomplishes good things, and we don't want to let God provide in his time or his way. In other words, I'll just do it my way. Okay, let's conclude. How do we stop worrying? There's three points. First of all, ask the right questions. So you're gonna ask questions, but you gotta ask them in the right way to the right person. Therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek, everybody seeks, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Remember that I mentioned earlier that to the people Jesus was speaking to, stored up food was a, a measure of wealth and, and, of course, a legitimate need, as is cl- clothing. Certainly, having water is a necessity. There's a dry and arid place they lived in. Water is a necessity. Even good wine, frankly. It was medicinal. It was a part of their uh, regular diet. And unbelievers sought after those things, and they still seek after those things, these uh, necessary things. But this is the difference. They are seeking them as ends in themselves. And it's their security. It's their God. As their security. Because they are not citizens of heaven, and their idols cannot provide ease from worry. They never will. The idols they are serving will not ease their worry. But before the Lord taught his disciples the pattern of prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer uh, earlier in this chapter, Matthew 6, he said, your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. So he knows, dear family, what we need before we ask him. But he commands us to ask. He wants us to ask. He knows we must develop the habit of asking and to ask in prayer, in faith, for his glory. He is training us to look to him. So our questions to ourselves about our necessities should not be uh, out of worry. Like, for example, what shall I eat? Well, that's generally, well, that might be, I have 10 choices, what should I eat? Um, Or what should I drink? Or, you know, what should I wear? We all have plenty of clothes. But our question should be, Well, there are any number of questions we here probably have in our culture regarding necessities, things that we think are necessities, like what am I going to do if this recession gets worse? What am I going to do if inflation gets worse? What am I going to do with supply chain disruption? Or anything, it can be anything. And if we're asking these questions to ourselves in fear, it shows that we don't really trust that he knows our needs, that promise that we looked at earlier in Hebrews. We don't trust him. We don't remember how much he loves us, that he would give his only son. And all of this, dear family, is the sin of unbelief. The sin of unbelief. And again, the better questions, I think, are to ask ourselves, and these are more, maybe you could call them reminders, but we're asking ourselves, for example, who is my provider? Who is my provider? It, it points us again to the one we should be crying out to. Another question, who has promised to provide for me? Well, the Lord Jesus has. The God who keeps every promise. Will I trust in him is probably a good question. 
in this situation, whatever you may be facing now, will I trust in him? Am I? And what promises am I clinging to? I believe that's what we need to do when we are tempted to worry. Those are questions that we should ask, which will cause us to, I believe, cease worrying, because they will cause us to come, again, to the one who can and will provide. And then we'll be asking, I believe, the right questions in faith, through prayer, the means he's given for us to do that, it's the right way to the right person. And we will thus be seeking the Lord who provides. Verse 33, but you, you all know this probably, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Just add it on. The Lord Jesus is king of the true and lasting kingdom, the one where our treasures can and uh, is accumulating. So it is wise for us to seek this kingdom first, to always be seeking his kingdom first. And again, that's what I was meaning about having an eternal perspective, really. Seek his kingdom first. Make that your priority, the priority of your life on every single given day. And it's wise also to seek the king of righteousness. Keep your eyes on him. And thus grow in his righteous character. That's what he desires. He wants us to become more like him. Rather than sin against him by our worry. So worry takes a lot of energy, you know. So we should expend our energy first and foremost on every day that he gives us in seeking him and not in worry. The, all these things, the necessities that we uh, might worry about so much are just added, really, by the grace and power of God. They're given to us even beyond our necessities, of course, by his grace as we seek him first. Those who are busy seeking him will not waste so much time and energy worrying. Last, we should stop worrying by living by faith today. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So, don't you think there's usually enough challenge in a given day to exercise the faith that God is developing in us? Yes, pray about tomorrow, certainly. Cling to his promises for tomorrow. Commit your fears and your worries about tomorrow to the Lord. And so you will be living by faith today, not presuming that you have strength to deal with what's going on now and all the worries that you're you know, thinking about. Again, worry is the sin of unbelief. And it, actually, it's also the sin of fear. And we have to confess this. We have to confess it. We have to repent by turning in faith to the Lord Jesus and to his promises daily. I'm going to conclude. Two, two quotes. You know these people? Well, John Newton. John Newton said, we can easily manage if, you know, manage our life day by day. We can easily manage if we will only take each day the burden appointed to it by a sovereign God. He didn't say that, but that's what he meant. But the load, this load, will be too heavy for us if we carry yesterday's burden over again today, now, and then add the burden of tomorrow before we are required to bear it. We can't do that. We try, I know we do. Corey Tenboom said essentially the same thing. Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Uh, tomorrow, tomorrow's over here. Tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying, in other words, two days at once. It is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. 
Worrying doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. So dear brothers and sisters, let's ask the right questions to the right person. Our Lord Jesus, who died for us in his great love for us. Let's seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and do all that we can to keep our focus on our Lord Jesus Christ. And let's exercise faith daily for his glory and to please him. Let's pray. Lord of all, you are our provider and you are our master. And we ask that you would forgive us for the sin of worry that is so easy to practice. For not seeking you first. For not trusting in you as your because you are precious and you give us precious and very great promises. Oh Lord, develop in us hearts which trust in you and know the joy of laying up treasures in heaven, those invested in your kingdom. Oh Lord, open our eyes to see that you value us far beyond what we can comprehend. You love us far beyond what we can fathom. Enable us to see it though more and more. Lord, enable us by the power of your Holy Spirit to please you by walking by faith in your provision, in your timing, and in your way. Lord, may we be so focused on you that we will worry less and less and glorify you as the Lord who bought us and cares for us. Lord, we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Master and our King. Amen.